so as we enter into uh, the sermon today, I just want us to remember uh, the first two weeks of Advent. We have set kind of the frame for our understanding of what God's doing with us in Advent using a story, the story of the wise men who come from the East making a great journey to draw near to the Christ child who aren't um, distracted in Jerusalem. And surely we all have our share of distractions this time of year but are intent on following the star to the child, where they fall down and worship him, where they give gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, a gold, a sign of their faith that he is the Messiah, the frankincense, uh, a sign of Christ's divinity. They offer him incense, which rises like prayers before the Lord. And uh, in the myrrh, they prophetically um, point towards his death uh, and also his resurrection. So that's sort of the frame for us as we make our own journey. But we're not journeying physically. We're journeying spiritually. It's a matter of the heart. And if our journey is a matter of the heart, then we're going to need to learn how to pray in ways that allow us to move closer to Jesus. And so we spent time last week in Psalm 85. Psalm 85 is a prayer. It's a prayer that has a particular shape. And we remember. We cry out. We listen and here. And we remember what? We remember the covenants and promises that God has made. Uh, we remember God's faithfulness to us as a congregation. We remember God's faithfulness to us personally throughout the course of our lives. We cry out because we live in a dark time and we need the light of Christ to shine in us and in the world around us. Uh, we listen to God as He speaks in the created order, but also as God speaks to us through His Word. And as we do that, we begin to hear of Jesus, who has come to join us as one of us, God with us. Jesus, who joins heaven and earth together. We hear this word that testifies that that which was begun in Christ uh, is going to be uh, consummated in all of its fullness, such that the new heavens and the new earth will be joined and we will be with God as God's people forever. So that's the pattern, the story of the wise men setting the frame Uh, Psalm 85, shaping our prayers, shaping our hearts as we move towards Jesus. This morning, we're going to notice and recognize that we don't travel individually. We're not doing this all by ourselves. We don't have to, but we don't even get to if we wanted. We travel as a company, as a company of, of, of pilgrims making a pilgrimage, a holy journey. We do that together with each other whether we're sitting here in these pews or out on the lawn or in our cars or watching online, we're doing this, we're traveling on this uh, this passage together. But we're not just doing it together. If you look at the manger, you will see that all of heaven and earth is drawing near to Jesus. We see that in the angelic host who come proclaiming glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. So the angels come. And witness and bear witness to Christ who's with us. And there at the manger, we see not just the angels, but the beasts of the field. The donkey and the cow who come near. The sheep who come with their shepherds, Jewish shepherds who come. And also uh, Gentile kings from the east. We see all of creation, all of humanity gathered around the manger. And so as we journey, we journey not just on our own or just together, but also with the holy saints and angels which means we have those who can help us on our way. In fact, we have those who are specifically tasked by God to help us, to help you. In particular, this morning, 
John the Baptist. He's also called John the Forerunner. Um, my sermon title isn't about Toyotas. Right? It's about John the Forerunner, the one God has sent before us to announce his coming and to help us prepare the way. So each Advent, we somehow end up hearing John's word to us from the Lord. And so we become sort of familiar with him. And I don't know when you hear John the Baptist what immediately pops in your mind. I asked this question of the session on Thursday at their meeting, and Joe Banner said, I, I think of kind of a rough character, a mountain man, a guy who's out in the wilderness who's, um, you know, got crazy hair and a big beard, and that's who I picture. John in his ministry across the Jordan. Um, I don't know if you picture that or if you picture John in the belly of his mother Elizabeth, who when Mary, pregnant with Christ, came to see her, John the Baptist was actually, you know, the forerunner, the first one as a child in his mother's womb to recognize Jesus as the Christ. A baby in his mother's womb, the first one to recognize Jesus, leaping within her. I don't know if that's the John that you imagine or picture. I don't know, maybe you see John with his head cut off, beheaded. Because a queen didn't really like what he had to say. So John, imprisoned, was then beheaded. I don't know which part of John's life or ministry immediately comes to mind for you, but this morning as we turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we're going to hear what John actually had to say about himself. John's self-description of who he is and what he has come to do. And so I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 1. Uh, verses 6 to 8, and then we're going to skip to 19 to 28, also in chapter 1. So listen carefully and listen well. Because we have the frame, we've been given the prayer, and now we're going to meet the person who God is using to prepare us to meet the Christ. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Now they've been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who's, um, who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am unworthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
one of the early hymn writers of the church, um, in one of, one of his hymns, referred to Jesus or spoke of Jesus by calling him the unapproachable sandal. It's sort of a, a neat turn of phrase uh, because of this passage. John's saying, I'm unworthy even to untie his sandal. But as we, as we move into uh, what John has to say about himself, I want us to notice a few things. First, I'd like us to pay attention to his verbal proclamation. And then I want us to look at his life. And then because we don't even come to John the Baptist on our own, but also with the whole church, we're going to take a look at a couple paintings that the church has, um, has used and to help us understand who he is. And one of those is an actual painting. The other uh, has to do more with church architecture. So that's kind of where we're going. And so first I want you to notice um, that John, though he was out across the Jordan, though he was out in the wilderness... had authorities, priests and Levites and folks from Jerusalem, the center of power, the central center of authority, sending people out to see who he was and what he had to say about himself and what he was doing. They wanted to know. Because here is one the people were calling a prophet of the Lord. And so when they came near, they said, John, who are you? And it's very striking to me. He didn't say, well, duh, I'm the Baptist. Like there's my job description, right? He didn't start with his job. He didn't start by talking about his family or who he was related to or where he grew up or where he was born or where he had lived or what he had done. He wasn't, he didn't do any of those things. And usually when somebody, when I'm meeting somebody, you know, I I usually, you know, introduce myself, tell them, you know, a little bit about myself, where I'm from, the jobs I've had, the things that I've done, the places I've gone who my family happens to be. All those things are, you know, those are typical ways that we introduce ourselves. But not John. His identity is so biblically formed and rooted. He's so rooted in the call that God has placed upon him. He introduces himself by quoting Scripture. Could you imagine having a self-understanding that's so deeply rooted in who God has called you to be and who God has identified you to be, that passages from Scripture are the main thing that tells you who you are and by which you understand yourself. Maybe this week you could just kind of go look through the New Testament. It is chock full of places that tell us who we are in God's sight. Maybe that could begin to identify or serve as your point of identification a little more than what you've done or what jobs you've had. John says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And what he's doing there, he's quoting from Isaiah, the prophet. So look with me. Isaiah chapter 40. This is going to sound familiar. We read it nearly every Christmas. Boy, it's a nice word to hear in 2020. Isaiah 40. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. 
And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The glory of the Lord is who? It's Jesus, of course. We've already talked about that this Christmas. The glory of God taking on flesh so that all flesh may see. But John understands himself to be the one who's pointing people, preparing people, helping people get ready to see the glory of God revealed. That's who he is, a voice crying out in the wilderness. Make straight a highway for our God. Can you hear John saying that to you this Advent? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the way of God. Prepare the way of the Lord, says John the Baptist, to those who think the most important thing in the moment is how many people have COVID or how many people are getting COVID or passing COVID or or catching it. Prepare the way of the Lord, says John, to all those who are concerned with COVID and either really pleased or really displeased with government response. Prepare the way of the Lord, says God, and reminds us, and John reminds us to those who live in Avery County where our, um, our community has been impacted in new ways and difficult ways. Prepare the way of the Lord. For some, it is truly a mountain. Some think it's a mountain being made out of a molehill. Either way, it's being brought down, says John. Prepare the way of the Lord so that you may hear and meet the one thing needed. Prepare the way of the Lord, says John, to those who find themselves in a place of despair, who find that they're walking through that deep valley of the shadow, who find themselves wallowing in the pool of despondency. Prepare the way of the Lord. All those low places are going to be raised up. Prepare the way of the Lord so that you may receive and meet the one thing needful. Uh, prepare the way of the Lord, says John, to all those Americans who are concerned about who's going to be president next and who should be and who shouldn't be and why the votes count or why they don't. Prepare the way of the Lord, says John the Baptist, so that you may actually attend to the one thing that is needful. Why does John speak this to us? Prepare the way of the Lord to those worried about COVID. The Lord comes with healing in His wings, says the prophet. Prepare the way of the Lord, says John, to those who are in despair. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the one who says, Comfort, comfort you, my people, says your God. Prepare the way of the Lord, says John, to those worried about presidents. Presidents? Prime ministers? Dictators, what are these compared to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one before whom every knee shall bow and tongue confess that He is Lord, whether we like it or not. The one thing needful, the one who is needful, the one we need is Jesus. Prepare the way of the Lord. Bring those mountains down, those low places up, so that your heart might become a highway for our God. But I don't don't want us just to listen to John's proclamation. I want us to look at his life. Let's look at his life. It's interesting that 
the session's first response to hearing something about John was to think of a wild man, a mountain man, a rough man, crazy hair, big beard. He wore a camel, uh, camel hair shirt. Which, I mean, I don't know a lot about fashion, but that thing was intended to be uncomfortable all the time. It poked, it prodded, it itched. You couldn't get that thing comfortable. John wore it because he didn't want to be comfortable. He wanted to know the Lord's comfort, not the comfort of this world. And it was a minute by minute, even second by second reminder that his hope was not found here. But his hope was found in the one who would come. The one whose glory would be revealed to all flesh. The Messiah of Israel, whose job it was to prepare people for. And he knew that if people were comfortable, they're not getting ready. And so he embodied that in his own life. He says, I'm not going to make myself comfortable. Um, a nice cup of hot chocolate, a book, a recliner, and a blanket pulled up cannot be your only preparation this Advent for Christmas. As much of a gift as that can be, and it can be part of your preparation, that can't be the totality of it. John's clothes remind us of that, even as it reminded him of that. He was out in the wilderness. He was across the Jordan. He was eating locusts and wild honey, wearing a wide belt. He was a prophet of the Lord. His life looked really different. If you had seen John the Baptist walking through Newland, you might have decided to lock your car doors or to turn around and go back in the building you had just emerged from. John was different. And when I think about John and I think about his life, it reminds me how much of my time is spent trying to be like everybody else. Trying to dress or act in ways that are appropriate. Ways that other people might look at me and say, okay, yeah, he fits in, he belongs. Or he's an interesting kind of person. Or I'd spend some time with him. We spend, we're conditioned this way as human beings, and we spend most of our time, if you begin to pay attention to yourself and your thought process with other people, you'll begin to notice that most of the time you're scanning the room, even subconsciously, trying to figure out, am I behaving in ways that other people find appropriate? And if you're not, you begin to change your behavior. John the Baptist is not like that. He's not thinking about other people or listening or paying attention to what others think. He's paying attention to what God thinks of him and what God has called him to do. And to make a bit of a shift, I want us to think certainly of John the Baptist as the one who prepares our hearts for Christmas, for the coming of the Lord. But I also want us to think just for a second about the fact that God has called us together and in service to Him, so that our lives can now be a preparation for others to meet Jesus. And in order to do that, I don't think if John is an example that we can just look like everybody else all the time. My question is to you, um, how can you look different? If your preparation for Advent and your celebration of, of Christ at Christmas leaves you on, January, on December 26th 
exactly the same as you looked on January 24th, then something hasn't gone quite right. Your thought life should look differently. The desires of your heart should look different. The way that you move through the world should look different. The places you go should look different. The people and how you speak to people should look different. The way that you're engaged with your church family should look different. Advent is a serious time of preparation. John the Baptist reminds us that that's not going to always make us look good to the world. But it might attract the attention of those who need to know the Christ. So we hear his proclamation. We look at his life. Um, Finally, I want us to note that we don't even look at John the Baptist on our own as individualists. But we do this as a company, as a people, as a church. Um, So I want to share with you a painting and then a bit of church architecture. First, the painting. Uh, In the 15th century, a guy named Matthias Grunewald painted an image of the crucifixion of Christ. This was placed in St. Anthony's uh, Monastery. And particularly, it was placed in uh, the hospital there. 15th century. Most of the folks in this hospital were covered in in lesions and sores. They suffered from a kind of skin disease that covered their entire body. And so when Grunewald painted this image of Christ on the cross, if you look closely, you'll notice that his skin is covered with lesions and wounds and bumps. So that as these folks, as they rested on the floor or on the bed and gazed up at this image of Christ on the cross, they could see and be reminded that he bore their suffering. Can you imagine how powerful that would have been for them? To know that Jesus bears their... That's what Advent's about. That's what the incarnation is about, that God comes to be with us. He enters into our suffering, into the fallen world, and then does something about it so that we can be set free. This painting by Grunewald pictures that. Can you look at Jesus on the cross? Can you see the wounds on his flesh? As you gaze at this image, um, you would see on Christ's right a picture of Mary, his mother, who is um, sort of fainting. And then you see John the Apostle, not the Baptist, John the Apostle um, kind of catching or holding her, the one to whom Jesus said, uh, John, behold your mother, mother your son as he suffered there. Beside them, you'll see Mary Magdalene, who has got her hands raised in prayer to Christ. But on the other side of Jesus, in this image, you would see John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is standing with his hand raised, his finger pointing like this, uh, to Jesus on the cross. And beside him, about waist high, are the words in Latin, He must increase, but I must decrease, which is simply a a quote from something John said in the scripture. He must increase, but I must decrease. And then at John's feet, you can see a lamb standing as though it has been slain, which is a picture taken from Revelation, which is descriptive of Jesus, the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world and by whom we are saved. It is also... Uh, a description of what John said when Jesus drew near there at the Jordan. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of this is wrapped up in this painting 
visually depicting what we see in the scripture. Of course, John the Baptist wasn't actually at the cross. It's an interpolation. He was beheaded. He was killed a few years prior. But Grunewald's taking an artistic license here to help us understand John's task. To point. The scripture says, There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. He was not himself the light, but came to bear witness about it. To point to him. A finger pointing. I wonder if your own life, you could be a finger pointing. Your spouse towards Jesus. I wonder if you could be in your own life, a finger pointing your children or your grandchildren or your friends or your family towards Jesus. A finger pointing. Could you be a finger pointing? Pointing our church family to Christ. Pointing our community to Jesus. Pointing those who are worried about COVID, who, who are in, finding themselves in despair, who are worried about the president. Point, could you be a finger pointing to Jesus? In fact, think about it like this. When you died and someone was going to paint a picture about your life, what if the only thing they could think of to paint was you standing pointing at Jesus? Wouldn't that be an incredible witness? So there's a painting. Now let me tell you just a little bit about... um, you know, church architecture, we talked about this before. Uh, we've got the narthex, three-part three division of sort of holy space. You've got the narthex, which is this liminal space, the space in between the world and the church. And then you've got this space where the body of Christ comes and is seated and stands for worship. It looks like the body, right? And then you've got this raised section that isn't just to help people see better, but it's actually a depiction of the heavenly spaces where the choir sits and from whence the music comes, imaging the angels who surround the throne in heaven and give glory to God. It's also the place from whence the word comes forth. Because these aren't just divisions, they're also connected, and the word is that which connects them. The word as it's spoken comes from this space into that space. Uh, the, The sacrament comes from heaven to earth as we receive the body and blood of Christ. Um, And also, um, we can see uh, see another image. So in in the Anglican church, they might have a fence up here. Sometimes the Lutherans do as well. Uh, A bar that designates the different spaces. This is all taken from Moses as he saw the tabernacle in the Old Testament, which was a copy of the heavenly space that he saw. And then, um, in, the, in the Eastern Church, you can see that the separation of these spaces, but also their connection, is highlighted by a wall that goes all the way up to the ceiling, typically. And it's called the iconostasis, right? So it's a wall, and it's filled with pictures and icons of the saints. Because um, this, is, this is the way in which heaven and earth are connected. On the right side you would see Mary. You remember when I talked about Mary holding Jesus but also offering him up? That image is right here in those churches. Um, On the other side, you would see images of the saints. In the middle are doors that connect the holy place, the heavenly spaces, and uh, the earth or the, the place of the body. 
And so when the preacher preaches, he stands in front of those doors because the word is what connects, right? Uh, When he serves communion, he stands before those doors because that is uh, Christ, the word coming to us. All of these things are simply meant to point us to Jesus, who is the coming together of heaven and earth in his very person, the child born, the son given. Now, if you were to look over in this corner and see on this wall these holy pictures of holy people who have both are of heaven but have also walked the earth, angels and saints and holy folks, you, you begin turning your gaze in towards the center, the focal point. And right before you came to this image of Jesus and came to the doors, you guessed it, you would see John the Baptist. And I wonder if you can use your imagination just for a second and, and, and picture the picture. Picture that image and look at it. And then, taking a further step, I want you to imagine John looking at you. Not you just looking at him. I want you to imagine John looking at you and speaking to you. Prepare the way of the Lord. Who brings healing in his wings, who is the Prince of Peace, who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Prepare the way of the Lord in your own life. As you hear that word this Advent, as you continue to be drawn in, I want you to look at the image beside him. Right next to the door. We saw the image of Christ coming in weakness as a babe over here, but now on this side, you see the image of Christ in power and glory. He's holding the book of life. He's extending the sign of blessing. And he is saying, I am the one thing needful. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you would, stand with me.